This is Anthony Pascal. And this is Lori Elster, and this is the All Access Star Trek podcast. Today we are going to be reviewing the season one finale of Strange New Worlds called Equality of Mercy. It is crazy that we are here already, but you got to wait a little bit for that because we're going to cover some news, starting with some awards news, which everybody loves. So the Hollywood Critics Association, this year they're holding their second television awards um, in August, and they announced Strange New Worlds and Lower Decks are nominated for Best Streaming Drama and Best Streaming Animated Series, respectively. Look at what Strange New Worlds is up against. I mean, Severance? (laughs) Stranger Things? The Morning Show? Squid Game? Ozark? Like, these are big shows. Loki. Yeah. 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 It's not just genre stuff. It's got some tough competition there for sure. Yeah. But the whole, I mean, critics have really liked this show. It's gotten a lot of good buzz from critics. So I'm not surprised, but it was good to see. And in fact, during the awards show in August, they hand out some special awards and they've already announced that Stranger World is going to get the, what they call the legacy award for 2022. Which is very specific about a show that takes an existing beloved property and manages to pay tribute to it, they said, without relying solely on nostalgia and modernizing it and making audiences happy to get a new generation of fans. Which seems to be right on the nose there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, even though I don't always love when they dip into the nostalgia, they're not relying solely on it at all. So, I, yeah. Except for this week, but we'll get Except into that this later. week. Yeah. We'll, get it, we'll get into that <laughs> later. Awards is an interesting topic because this is an interesting year for Paramount and CBS. Next week, Emmy nominations for the primetime Emmys come out and they have four shows in consideration. Prodigy doesn't count as a primetime show. The Emmys are doing a special children's family awards this year for the first time spinning that off from the daytime Emmys. And Prodigy's going to win them all. (laughs) So, uh, but CBS and Paramount, CBS Studios and Paramount Plus have made 87 submissions for Star Trek shows for different nominations. Um, You know, guest actors and, you know, visual effects and sound and, you know, uh, sporting actors and lead stars and shows. And it's quite a lot for Discovery, Lower Decks, Picard and Strange New Worlds, all of which qualify this year. And they did an extensive campaign for this. A lot of the interviews we've talked about recently were related to, um, you know, things that they were doing to get their name out. So next week, it'll be interesting to see how many Emmy nominations they get for various Star Trek shows. And do they actually, you know, do they rack up a bunch or do Star Trek shows start? competing against you know each other and actually it has the opposite effect where you get less nominations because yeah no that can definitely happen if you want you know especially i think with the tech ones a lot because they're they do end up competing with each other yeah and then people who love star trek maybe go well i'll pick one of the star treks and then i'll make sure that i throw in for all mankind or this or that or whatever else they're putting in there now you're an Emmy voter, so I'm. Uh, you did your bit right for Star Trek. I did. I don't get obviously. I don't get to vote in specialty categories because um, I'm not an actor or a visual effects designer or anything like that. But what you do is you get a whole, you get a list of categories, and you can pick as many as you want in that category that you think should be nominated. 
So we'll have news on Emmy nominations next week. Speaking of Prodigy, there's just a little bit of news. The day this podcast comes out, which is Friday the 8th of July, it finally arrives on Nickelodeon. It will be airing Friday nights at 8 p.m. Yeah. And then they're going to, you know, there'll be repeats across the various Nicks. Nick, you know, there's lots of things within the Nick world, including the the, uh, website. But the first 10 episodes, they've already shown the premiere like previously as a special event, but now they're going to have the whole season. So this is it's finally happened. It started as a Nickelodeon show years ago. Then it went to Paramount Plus. And now it's finally on Nickelodeon as well. By the way, this is Nickelodeon in the USA. Prodigy's actually already shown up on Nickelodeons around the world. Yeah, so hopefully a whole new audience is about to discover it and get very excited. I'm actually planning a big, fun Prodigy rewatch for the next few days because we have something exciting to announce. Next week is our 100th episode, and we have booked Aaron Wilkie, the showrunner of Star Trek Prodigy, to be our guest. Let's move on to talk a little bit about Kate Mulgrew. Right. We're going to segue with Janeway from Prodigy into Janeway Voyager. <laughs> well, both, actually. She was she did an interview while she was in the UK, and uh, she was talking about Prodigy, and the interviewer said, oh, you're playing two different Janeways. And she corrected the interviewer and said, actually, it's three. Captain Janeway, Admiral Janeway, and Hologram Janeway, which is actually news um, because we haven't seen Captain uh, technically Janeway. So, well, didn't she send Chakotay off on his mission? Yeah, but she was Admiral Janeway. So that was, yeah. So even though that was a flashback, it was a flashback to when she was still an Admiral. So this, right could only mean a either time travel which i doubt but probably another flashback to when she was captain probably but that opens up the opportunity for more voyager stars so let's transition to what she said about voyager mulgrew's been dropping hints i can't tell whether there's something happening or she's trying to make it happen but she likes more and more to talk about returning to live action and she said that she talks to the her Voyager co-stars about returning. I mean, it doesn't mean that anything specific is happening, but she said, you know, we're always touching down and crossing paths. And well, she said, all of us would love to continue. And when the opportunity presents itself, we'll always do more Star Trek. And I mean, as a devotee of the Delta Flyers, like those guys are always talking to each other. They have them. They have everybody on the podcast at one time or another they definitely are texting each other sometimes in the middle you know ethan phillips will text uh robbie like right in the middle while he's like oh i just got a crazy text so (laughs) these guys are talking and they're all interested in doing it for sure there was another interview while kate mulgrew was promoting prodigy with sonequa martin green promoting star trek discovery and they were talking about female star trek captains and they it was actually like a fun interview to watch because it's really fun to see the way that they relate to each other uh but they talked about how their two characters they think would get along really well and uh sonequa really liked when kate said that uh that their characters are not there for the male gaze and they're not trying to be sexy and sonequa did a very hilarious sexed up version of let's fly to make the point. 
it was a yeah so it's it's just fun watching them together they have a fun little dynamic it does make you wish for that crossover but i i think they're right you know they talked about how female captains are trying to be inspirational not be sex objects right um, and uh i think that's great yeah no it's good it's nice it's nice to hear that stuff i mean i know it's not uh such a new idea now but i feel like it's still far from over and we still need to talk about those things and then, and they got into it i mean sonequa's reactions i loved because she was like hell yeah you know <laughs> like just very i love how physical she is and she was just very enthusiastic about everything that kate was saying now let's talk a little bit about comic-con um, that's coming up in two weeks i'm going to be going so we'll be taking a hiatus that week um, as there's no new Star Trek episode, and I'm going to be in San Diego, and it's With the first fifty masks on. I hope. <laughs> it, well, it's the it's the first time they've done it in person since 2019. Right. Um, well, they did some weird thing last fall, which does I'm not counting. Um, this is the first <laughs> summer real on Comic Con, and right. The studios are going. Um, now we're still waiting for exact word on what paramount plus is going to do with star trek there's been a couple of it they're bringing the 10 forward bar if you guys remember they did that with the launch of picard and i went down to it and it was in downtown la and it was kind of fun where they they recreate the set um they're going to do that and you could buy tickets for that and uh they're going to be part of this big party the fandom party but they haven't announced panels yet for star trek officially um, I think there is going to be one in Hall H on Saturday, but it, that hasn't been confirmed. There's a few other tangential Star Trek panels uh, that are not official Paramount stuff that's going to be happening during that week. And um, you know, Shatner's doing a panel for a documentary all about his favorite subject. <laughs> Himself. Of course. <laughs> it's kind of a crazy documentary because it's fan-funded. <laughs> Right. What's well, it's, it's it, Legion M is this company that it's 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 different than crowdfunding. They you right. buy you buy shares. You are partial owner in these projects. There's a lot of serious names involved, including William Shatner and Kevin Smith is going to be hosting a panel with Shatner on Thursday in Hall H. Um, I hope and, you're going to go to that because that sounds really fun. If, if not me, we'll have someone go. That's a very good combination, Kevin Smith and William Shatner. Indeed. So keep your eye on trekmovie.com. The day this podcast comes out, the Friday the 8th or Saturday, look for more news on Paramount's plans on what they're bringing to Comic-Con for their five Star Trek series. I'm I'm hoping for a big Picard thing. And they've got so much stuff in the can now with all of their shows to show that it's a you know big question of how much they show with releasing new trailers and stuff like that because that's what is great about comic-con yeah so let's talk a little bit about uh, merchandise and blu-rays remember paramount plus did the star trek the motion picture director's edition uh, in april on streaming and now that is officially coming to blu-ray on september 6th it's coming in a couple of different ways. There's going to be a two disc package and then this like crazy limited edition with posters and stickers and that, that that's going to Which cost looks like amazing, by the way. We have yeah. 
a nice picture of it up on the site but if you've been i mean people were tweeting it like crazy too because it just looks so great it's a hundred bucks but it's got like every version of the motion picture including the one that was like on abc tv um <laughs> you know, by the way this is you know, the big deal about this is this is 4k ultra h i'm i don't think the abc special is i think that's just going to be in regular hd but the motion yeah, picture wait. director's edition is is 4k ultra hd all the bells and whistles it's gonna look better than it does on paramount plus because who knows if you're actually getting a full 4k stream um, it depends on your app and your tv and it's still you know no matter what depends on your connection so this will be as good as it gets and in addition to the motion picture they are re-releasing the first six movies in 4k uhd as a box set and then you could also buy all of them individually and there's links on the site and pictures of the boxes and all the details on the special features. And it's it's making me want to buy a new TV. <laughs> <laughs> Go bigger. Go anything yeah. short of sixty inches. You know. Well, I mean, point, ours is... is huge, but we bought it like ten more than ten years ago, so it's time for. Oh well, then that that's by definition. I don't think that. Did they, did they even do four K ten years? No, ago? I for sure I do. That's why I'm. That's why I want a new one. <laughs> Separate from my TV shopping, um, there's, <laughs> there's, let's talk about Lower Decks a little bit, which is we finally got a clip from season three. Yeah, the teaser trailer was nothing, right? I mean, they, yeah. it, you didn't actually see any footage. It was cute and funny and you could hear the voices, but this is actual footage. It's almost certainly from the opening episode. This was released on Thursday with the Ready Room. Um, we have it up on the site and it's fun. It, it's, it's an homage to family. Um, Boimler's walking, you know, and, and Mariner's walking around a vineyard. It's his, he, he did mention that his family has a vineyard before. So now we're seeing the vineyard. But of course, you know, giving the joke away. But the vineyard, yeah, I was going to say, don't give the joke away. Just say there's a twist. There's a twist. It's 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 a vineyard, but not exactly. Um, So <laughs> but it, it's fun. And, uh, you know, I'm just super looking forward to season three. Um, We don't have a date. We're hoping that news comes out of Comic-Con, but it's worth wetting your beak, as it were. This will be the next show, probably a month from now is when it shows up, maybe five weeks, six weeks. I'm very excited. I could use it. I feel like the time is right for that tone. Now, speaking of Lower Decks, so next Tuesday on the 12th, Season 2 comes out on Blu-ray with special features. And as a special bonus to you, our loyal listeners, we're going to be giving away one copy uh, for the All Access Pod fans. Listeners, yes. <laughs> so we're giving, we're giving one copy away to our listeners. And so here is... How you can qualify. We have, we're going to pick at random from everybody who does this, which is come to Trek movie every Friday morning when the podcast goes up, we put up a post to go with it. So go to that post for the all access Star Trek podcast, comment about the podcast, which, you know, I love desperate for feedback, but you must include somewhere in your comment, the phrase warp me. Just like Captain Freeman. <laughs> so put that in there and then we'll take a look at everybody. Well, one week. What do you think, Tony? One week? Yeah. Up until our next episode goes up. This has to be USA only. Those are the rules from Sorry. Paramount Home Entertainment. But uh, otherwise, you know, go for it. Uh, feel free to leave a regular comment, but just 
say warp me and uh, you have officially now use a valid email address so we can contact you and get your physical address and then they will uh, send the copy. So good luck. Now, just a very inside detail. The, the podcast shows up on like iTunes stuff, usually like a few hours before the article shows up, maybe two or three hours. If there isn't an article up when you're listening to this, just wait until roughly 9 a.m. Eastern time, and there will be an article where you could post your comment. I look forward to reading them. Warp me. I'm just <laughs> reminding everyone. <laughs> So, and we'll choose from, we will choose at random from everybody who did that. Uh, let's transition to Strange New World. So we're going to be talking spoilers, including some season two stuff now. So they wrapped production on season two. So season two is done. They finished on Canada Day. How appropriate. July 1st. The Pixamondo artists made virtual fireworks for their last day using the AR wall, which is smarter than using actual fireworks. Um, and we don't know when it's going to premiere, but uh, they all seem pretty excited that it's done. Let's pick up on our discussion we had last week with the death of Hammer in episode nine. Some of the stuff we were kind of talking about on the pod, you know, we didn't know is now known because Bruce Horak did a bunch of interviews after the episode came out and revealed some, you know, some key things, including that he knew from his first conversation that Hemmer was going to die. Hemmer's journey was described to him as kind of as an Obi-Wan figure with Uhura being Luke in this case. And he was going to give his life, but he was going to help her on her journey to becoming a, uh, a Jedi communications officer, I guess, if you want to extend <laughs> the metaphor. He said he knew even before the head mold was made <laughs> that the, <laughs> his character would not be surviving season one. Read the wrap-up article. There's a lot of good quotes about how he developed the character and did his research and how important it was to him and you know what it was like shooting the finale and how emotional it was for everyone. But uh, it's it's kind of touching. I'm still sad about it, kind of mad about it. But there is some good news in that he used some interesting phrasing. He's like, my Star Trek career is not over. Because you. I think last week, though, you were holding out hope like maybe Hammer's not dead, right? Right. Okay. Because so, he likes the cold and like we didn't see his <laughs> dead body. So and it's Star Trek. So one so, of the producers did an interview and he's like, no, he's dead. He's, so he's dead. He's dead. <laughs> Maybe he'll show up in a flashback. So the, this this notion that Horak's Star Trek career is not over. They're going to basically Jeffrey Combs him. They're going to use him in another role. Uh, Davey Perez said you know he was in alien makeup so we could put him in different alien makeup or maybe no makeup it's likely not going to be another anar um or andorian i was We'd... hoping that it would be like his twin brother schlammer <laughs> uh, or twin I mean... sister you know either way but uh yeah that's not going to happen but i think i i'm glad they want to reuse him i think he has a great energy and he did he was such he was so compelling like every time he was on the screen you were looking at him. So I hope they use him for a lot of different things. It's a good Star Trek tra tradition to follow. Yeah, no, we don't know if this is going to be a one-off guest star, recurring role, but we know he'll be back. And almost certainly that means season two because they just finished shooting it and season three hasn't gotten an official pickup. So, Well, I hope season two and season three and on through the rest. 
So while we were speculating, you know, who's going to be the new engineer? What are they going to do? Of course, we talked about how this could be leaving room for Scotty. And then we got a little taste of Scotty in this week's episode, which we're going to talk about when we get there. But they've made it very clear. The producer said it's not Scotty who's coming. So we actually, interestingly enough, we recorded our review earlier than this where we do all the speculating about is it going to be Scotty? But now we know. It's not going to be Scotty. It's going to be a different engineer, someone very interesting, they promise, but somebody brand new. I was thinking it would be funny because the way they did Scotty this week is he's just a hand, right? And a voice. And I was thinking they could do like a whole season, kind of like a Carlton the Doorman thing all season, where every once in a while this just hand comes through the doorway and says like, here's a tricorder, laddie, or something like that. You know, I love I believe this is the second mention of Carlton the Doorman on our podcast, and I appreciate that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> As a fan. <laughs> Go- Google it, kids. It's hilarious. Yeah. But I think they will eventually get to Scotty on the show because they've got plenty of seasons, and they'll probably do it proper with like a real Scottish actor and everything. <laughs> you think? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit more about the same producer Davy Perez who talked about Hemmer he did another interview talking about the Gorn and I don't want to get into a whole back and forth <laughs> on the Gorn I really don't but especially he, with me yes but I think what's it so so basically he said here's my headcanon on how I think this all fits together at least visually he's hanging his whole thing on the phrase that Kirk says in Arena, I face the creature the Metrons called a Gorn. So in his mind, the writer's mind, he's like, Kirk did know about the Gorn, but he knew about different Gorn or Gorn that looked different. And so when he saw this Gorn, the me- the one the Metrons called the Gorn, it looked different. And I'm like, you know what? Don't, right? Yeah. Like, this doesn't help because... For me, I had already moved past it. Like, like I didn't need this. And for people like you. It makes no difference and isn't actually saying anything. And isn't helping. So it's like, yeah. I can, I can see what, what they're trying to do. And, and basically it's like, look, we were told to do the Gorn. We're doing the Gorn. This is how I make it work in my head. It's funny. You know, it's nice that he shared it, but I don't think he's winning any converts to people going, oh, now it all makes sense. It's like you're either with it or you're not. And don't twist yourself into pretzels. Right. Just admit what you've done and, you know, move on. It's fine. Move on. Right. And if you're going to I mean, I liked your creative headcanon of geriatric Gorn, (laughs) you know, like that is funny and adds something new. But this didn't add anything. I saw someone who had a fascinating but almost sad idea. What if the Gorn that come out of Hemmer grows up to be that Gorn? That Gorn Gorn. that Kirk fights. Right. Because a seven-year-old Gorn or whatever is is actually really old. I'm not sure that (laughs) I'm not sure that works. Because that'd be like the Ocampa, right? Right. They grow up super fast. Which didn't make a whole lot of sense either. Um, Exactly. Yeah. So, but see, all that to me is more playful and fun and speculative. (laughs) So, you know, I am a fan of Strange New Worlds, but don't twist yourself up, producers. Like, if you're just doing it, then you're doing it. Yes. 
So speaking of ties to canon, let's talk about this week's episode. All right. It is time to review the season finale, hard to believe, of Strange New Worlds called Equality of Mercy. So to do this right, we have invited Matt Wright from the Shuttle Pod to join us. Hello, Matt. Hi. I see what you did there to do Matt. this right. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, guys. Excited to be here to talk about the finale. That is exciting. I believe this is your first time with us to talk about Strange New Worlds. Is that right? Yeah, that's that's right. I think I was on a talk uh, towards the end of Discovery seasons five or four, but we haven't talked Strange New Worlds yet. Just to give a little context before we talk about the finale, have you been enjoying the season? What do you you know? Yeah, up till I, now? Over, overall, I have enjoyed it. I mean, it's kind of we chat about it, of course, like amongst ourselves like all the time but on the podcast yeah i uh, I generally have enjoyed it um i've generally been okay with just kind of letting them take the ride there are parts that are annoying Lori and i feel a lot of the same feels about the annoying parts so i don't need to retread all of that but you know it's been generally a, a pleasant like season so i'm interested to see where they go of course for season two cool since you're the guest why don't you start us off what are your kind of high level thoughts? What did you think of the finale? It's it's hard for me to wrap my head around like exactly how I feel about it because, <laughs> well, you know, um, because it's essentially like, what if balance of terror happened with Pike, which is all like very interesting, but it also the way they went about it in some cases is like, uh, if you're a huge TOS fan, like I know, like Lori and I are, um, you hear things verbatim from that episode and it's weird because it feels like they want to tell a new story, you know, like a new version of the story. And then sometimes it's literally like verbatim from balance of terror. And that actually I found very distracting in a way. And it reminded me like, Oh yeah, this whole thing is kind of cribbed from a very famous, like very well-known TOS episode. I like what they did to kind of put a cap on you know, the whole season has been this question of, well, can he change his fate? Should he? Like, is there a reason to? And so they basically put a cap on it. You know, the season opened this way and they end the season with, okay, well, now you know. Like, now he knows that he's just determined to sort of allow these things to happen. And that's okay. You know, like, it's going to be okay. I think they wrapped up a lot of storylines, including a big one, in the previous episode. So this yeah. could be all about Pike. And because mm-hmm. he's the captain, so he should get the biggest storyline, obviously. So it, w- it it definitely had a nice bookend to the season uh, first episode. Right. Even down to the to the, you know, the friend with benefits showing up again. Captain and, girlfriend. And the cooking of a yeah. special mood. I mean, food. Sorry. <laughs> there was a. An interesting line during their little breakfast. She's talked about how she missed the beard. And he said that it was like being a captain uh, from a different era. And I feel like there were many meanings to that. Maybe this is reading too much into this, but even though this is all balance of terror, um, I feel like this is episodes actually borrowing a lot from yesterday's Enterprise. Yeah. Sure. It's, it's almost as if, what if Captain Picard was in command of the Enterprise, a captain from a different era during Balance of Terror, and in a way saying, well, you know, he was the right man for his era, but he wouldn't have been the right man at that time. 
and there's nothing wrong with him. It's just you need the right guy at the right time, which was Captain Kirk. It almost makes him Edith Keeler. <laughs> that's funny. Right. Yeah, that's true. That's true as well. Interesting. Interesting. So, Lori, can you say if you liked it or didn't like it, or is it too complicated? It is definitely complicated. Like, uh, there were things I really liked, like the whole idea of future Pike coming to to see regular, you know, current Pike. That whole thing was, I thought, great and interesting. Um, but I was very, I think the best way to describe it is I was just confused by some of the choices that they make. Similar to how I get confused sort of throughout the season, I've been confused sometimes when I feel like, wow, you have all these great characters and really talented people working on the show. Why are you dipping back into old stuff? And so I felt like I didn't understand why they made that choice, except that they really love Balance of Terror and wanted to remake it. And I love it, too, but it's it's pretty perfect. So yeah, it's a tough one to pick because it's, I mean, I rewatched it and I was like, you know, I always thought this was a great episode, but it's really, there's so much going on. And I felt like the elements that I like best about it weren't the elements that they kept. Well said. I have had the same kind of feelings. But this isn't, they are not trying to recreate Balance of Terror. Right. They are, Captain Pike came into the show with a problem from Discovery, which is he knew he was going to end up in the chair. It's going to just weigh on him, and he didn't even want to go on the mission at the beginning. And you can understand why, because, you know, he's he's got nine years to live, and he'd rather just grow a beard and hang out in his house and ride a horse around. And he, he didn't want to go back out into space, and... If 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 this was just kind of hanging over him all the time, it would become a problem. So they're like, we need to get rid of this problem. And how do you get rid of him worrying about his fate? You show him because we talked about this on the podcast. Because you know, Una's been saying maybe you maybe you don't need to accept your fate. Maybe you could change right. your fate. And we debated like, would they do that? I didn't. I and I never thought they would. But I think you said like maybe they would, or I forget. But it's an, it was an open question. Um, and if he's not going, you know, so why wouldn't he? And well, time travel is kind of an obvious way to stop him, you know, to show him using a, you know, a little bit of a Christmas Carol situation where you got to visit from, you know, uh, instead of the ghost of Christmas future, it was the, you know, the pike of the future. Well, and as he of, said, you have to see the, see it all go wrong to understand. Yeah. Then you go, okay, well, if we're going to show him the future and what went wrong, the obvious thing to do is say, well, you show him that if he survives, he would continue being captain, which means Kirk wouldn't be captain. So then you have to pick a pivotal moment when Kirk did something as captain that he would do differently because he's a different kind of captain. And so balance of terror is as good as, you know, a pivot point instead of them just picking one that we'd never heard of before. Well, um, here's the reason why it's maybe not a great pivot point. And that's because we now have two episodes in a row where the right thing to do is to kill. So, mm. you know, and so given that it's the first season of this show and that Star Trek ha definitely has some episodes where they have to do that, as because we're talking about one, Balance of Terror, where they do, where that's the right move. Um it seems an odd choice to do in a 10 episode season, two in a row, and then one before that with the Gorn before that, where the message is kill your enemy. 
you know, the, I mean, that's the weird thing about this this episode is Pike's instincts are very Picard like and very, you know, like, you know, can't we just talk about this, which seems like the optimistic, wonderful Star Trek thing to do. And they're saying, well, actually, in this one case, that's actually not the right thing to do. That's, you know, because that'll just that will actually start a war. Which goes back, by the way, a little bit like yesterday's Enterprise, where you're not really sure what the right thing to do is. Actually, of course, in that case, showing helping the Klingons is the right thing to do. But it's that whole, okay, if you if you go back, what's the right choice, right? And then it turns out, well, in this case, the right choice is not to show weakness in front of the Romulans. Which, by the way, is also a thing, a definite Klingon thing. Like, you would not want to show weakness in front of the Klingons either. It's tricky because... In Balance of Terror, we've never seen the Romulans. I don't just mean seen them. We don't know anything about the Romulans. And yeah. for fans, not people who are just watching Stranger Worlds and haven't seen or aren't super familiar with, I guess, the rest of the franchise. <laughs> um, but we all know a ton about Romulans. And that also sort of, you know, takes away from the impact, I think, of what they were trying to do. Like, it, I felt that that choosing that episode in a way that, felt somewhat derivative to me and took out the good parts and focused on some other parts, took away the impact of what makes that episode so good in a Star Trek world. But I still feel like it's a good pivot point, although your point is certainly valid in like there's moments in this where like Ortegas, I almost feel like she was turning to the camera at this point because she's like, she says, because we don't know what Romulans look like. <laughs> To kind of remind the audience, we're not supposed to know this, even though we do know. Um, yeah. Right. Like if they, I was looking at other first season, I just pulled up a list of first season episodes to be like, okay, if we're stick to first season, what other episodes could there have been that would have had a big pivot point? And the two big ones that kind of popped were Corbomite Maneuver, because I was thinking yep. where, where Kirk made a big decision and took a big risk. So that's one. And then the other one was A Taste of Armageddon. Oh, yeah. But I thought those those would have been interesting pivot points where the message it's hard because you want I think Taste of Armageddon would have been better for Pike because he would never have done what Kirk did. The thing you want to do in these situations is make sure that Pike does something that seems good, but have it not be good. Right. Which would have worked in that one, I think. But I still liked the episode. I do feel like getting to Matt's point, even though, you know, I'm a big original series fan i'm a big fan of balance of terror i you know there is an issue here where it's it's ironic that the more you love it the more you know it the more it echoes in your head yeah. it yep. does possibly create problems it's just an irony like i feel like this episode will work probably works best with people who are casual fans who yes. kind of may, maybe you're familiar yep. with it so not someone who's like totally new to you know, because then none of the references work with someone who's totally new. <laughs> right. But when it's too spot on, you know, because as soon as they cut to the wedding scene, we're like, oh, well, they're doing balance. Of yeah, we know what that is. Like, right. Yeah. And then also you know, we sort of lose the impact of that because, and, and the you know, he's right in the middle. He's like, I don't know what I'm doing here or what your names are. And then he's relieved when there's a red alert. So when that tragedy happens, it also doesn't really have the same impact. 
though uh, there was a nice bookend to that where if you, it, when he was in sick bay and he was kind of losing it before he saw Spock, the um, the bride. Yeah, they didn't name they didn't name them and the, they were named in um, the original series. This time it, they were just the bride and the groom. She was dead, so that kind of right her uh, instead of him. Yeah. Yeah, I still liked the episode. There were a lot of choices, I agree, that were just weird or didn't really work for me. One trivial one that didn't work for me, I thought the Scotty as a disembodied hand was just... That was um, weird. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, I think they thought it was funny. Maybe it was. I don't know. Like, I, I'm sure people love it, but I, I didn't love it. I'm sure people will like that. I think the bigger issue, one of the biggest issues... um, is Kirk because oh yeah Big this time. and it's not even like someone's a bad actor it's it's a huge miscast so correct to me totally agree Kirk whether you know Shatner Kirk and Chris Pine Kirk have a spark there's this extra thing there's this charisma there's a twinkle in their eye no matter what's going on and I just there was it was just like generic human to me I. Totally agree with that. <laughs> I feel like he was written really well. He was written like Kirk. He was smart. He was brash. He was a risk taker. You know, he, he stood up for like himself. He wasn't like Kirk. Kirk, when you see him, you like him. And you, you, he's I, personable. I, there's, a, there's a charisma that's totally yes. missing. Yes. You're, right about, I, like, you're right about like on the page. He, I get what you're saying. Like on the page, yeah, he's fairly Kirk-like. It's, it's the execution somehow. I, yeah, I mean, it's it's. First of all, I feel bad for Paul Wesley. This is oh, an yeah. impossible. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's very an impossible hard. task. So th there's a couple things of like, should we or should we not be just saying this is good or bad because of William Shatner, you know, and his performance? Because this is his first time out, and is he a good enough Kirk to make this episode work? I would say yes. I would is say he a no. good enough? Is he a good enough Kirk to? carry a star trek remake as kirk 100 no yeah no way yeah but i i think he kind of like the scenes that were supposed to be big in the episode for me were not big because i just wasn't getting anything from him i wasn't getting that that energy or that anything and you know i've been, look i've been open to uhura and chapel and spock and everybody so this yeah this to me was a was a huge problem and and probably contributed to a good chunk of my confusion and lack of enjoyment. I'm going to agree to disagree on this one because I still think he was fine for the episode. He just wasn't Shatnerific or Pinerific. And the timeline is a little too close to explain that, you know, because there's seven years. He's been captain of the Farragut instead of the Enterprise, but he still should be pretty much the same. And, you know, yeah. It wasn't for whatever reason, but I still thought he was doing what he had to do in this episode, which is at those moments when Kirk would have a different point of view where he would attack, whereas Pike wanted to negotiate. I thought that came across. I thought it was very clear, you know, and should be clear to the casual fans and the general audience that, Kirk, you know, Kirk would have done something different and he and therefore pike saw his you know the consequences of his fate as right. it were yeah i mean in, in, in just in service to the pike stuff yes it works but 
yeah, it's totally <clears throat> outside of that. It's missing the charisma that we all want to see. Yeah. But you're right. I mean, it's fine. It's fine. But... Well, it took the oomph out of their conversations for me. I mean, I, I thought that Kirk mm. should have died in this as well during the big battle scene yes, at the end. But we, 100%. sure, because we yep. all know it's an alternate. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and the, and 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 everyone knows who Kirk is. So if Pike is responsible for Kirk's death, that would have really just nailed it. And I think the only reason they didn't do that is because they want to bring him back again, as and we know they do, because he's going to show up in season two. Although I'm confused, like. Are they going to come back to this timeline, or is that going to be Lieutenant Kirk on the Farragut? Like, yeah, because that's what he should be, right? Right, now. right. That's what yeah, because we know that. I mean, this gets to behind the scenes stuff that you wouldn't know just watching the show, but we know that Christina Chong and him have been working together. We know that she's a, in this future gets assigned to the Farragut. So maybe because they she left the ship in the last episode to go on, you know, to take care of the kid like in season two does she start off on the farragut with lieutenant kirk for some reason she ends up on that ship instead of coming straight back to the enterprise maybe and so that you know but if that were the case then they still then they definitely should have killed quote captain kirk yeah there's no reason they couldn't kill him because that was an alternate future anyway that's right yeah. Right. And one of many. I mean, th- th- this is right. reminded me of the last Avengers movie, but when Doctor Strange is saying, I looked at the ball. Because so you get this sense that, you know, during the war, Pike goes back, Admiral Pike, in his fantastic uniform. Yes. Way, his, <laughs> um, goes back to the bunks and he's just rifling through time crystals, trying to find one where it all works out and he can't find one. And, right. you know, it's. Well, they had to say that, too, because otherwise you'd say, well, Pike could just live through the future and then make that different choice. So they had to have a reason why he couldn't choose that path. Right. Yeah. There's no. Yeah. He's saying it's not just that decision. It's there's just, you know, there's no way out. Get in the chair and beep is what they're saying. <laughs> yes. Right. Yeah. Or 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 Spock's going to end up in the or chair. Spock's going to, yeah. Or Klingons are going to come and kill you. That was basically what he said. He said, yeah, the wa- yeah that that's weird. And then it gets into weird. a whole thing. Yeah, like yeah. the Klingons in charge of time and suddenly they care and they're also super info. I don't know. That raised a whole bunch of issues that I don't think they would realize they were <laughs> raising. Yeah, I mean, that that's a thread where when you pull on it, it unravels. Yeah. But I get why they I get why they did it. Right. Just to kind of nail the point that, you know, you've stopped messing with time, which you yeah. really shouldn't do anyway. I mean, that's the thing. And. Right. You know, they don't have the uh, temporal cops from the TNG era, so but they should, right? Because time travel isn't unknown. Right. And someone should be telling him, don't do it. But I think it was great that, because they could, I mean, obviously Ken Mitchell couldn't have done it, but they could have brought in another Klingon, which would have been interesting, another monk to come in and tell him this. But I think future Pike, and uh, you know, what's great is, he is older, he is an admiral, but the hair, it's still there. <laughs> still. No, and the, right. the personality was still there, too. Yeah, that was interesting, because, you know, he's been through war. Well, he's been through more, he's been through tremendous personal guilt as well. So, yeah. in a way, I thought he would have been a little less cutesy, you know, like jokey smurf, as I call him. 
given <laughs> all of that and this and the fact that he is basically this part was really interesting that he is trying to say you need to create a future in which i do not exist yeah he he was sacrificing himself essentially right and that's a very interesting dark thing it's a, a subtle thing but he implied that he no longer commands the enterprise well he's an admiral so he you know but he could have the enterprise if he wanted but he it was nostalgic for him to be on the enterprise so we're getting a sense when he looked at the knives i thought that was an odd choice he looked at so this is like he misses this is like a (laughs) uh, he's like coming from a wrath of khan era yeah um basically where he's an admiral at the academy probably and you know is no longer in command of the ship but i'm with you on that uniform was fantastic oh yeah I'm uh, the cosplayers will probably the the alt monster maroon was yes. fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. I thought Spock was very interesting. So Ethan Peck played Spock subtly differently, where he was playing TOS Spock. He was more logical, more more in control, more in command. You know, it was subtle, but it was there for sure. Yeah, I think he. I mean, every time we've interviewed him or someone else has, he has said, like, I don't know how to do this and how to get to where I need to be. But I think he's doing it very effectively. And we're seeing growth and progress along the way. And it's really well done. I also think it helped that in some cases he was literally delivering a line that he could see Nimoy's performance. You know what I mean? From and sort of make his own because he could literally see, you know. Especially, you know, that whole line of like, okay, if, if they're an offshoot of my Vulcan blood, then we dare not show weakness. You know, it's it's, it's something that Nimoy delivers so, so it's so, you you know, uniquely Nimoy when he delivers it in Balance of Terror. That, of course, he didn't do that. He didn't like copy it. But just, you know, you get to kind of have a reference point. It was smart that Pike went to future Spock and told him the truth because future Spock knows about all the time weirdness and the way he just matter of factly said, I need to take command. You're crazy. Yeah. Um, and then Pike <clears throat> suggested the mind meld was very like, cause that's something you wouldn't say to your captain, but the way, but, but Spock would just come out and say, I need to take command. I wasn't sure if he needed to, I was very torn on, did he need to tell Spock right away? Like I appreciate in the, in the, episode with the body swap i appreciated that they immediately just came clean and said we swapped bodies so that it wasn't goofy but in this case i wasn't sure it felt like a weird almost a weird choice to tell spock and it would have been sort of interesting to see pike having to discover these things by looking these things up and seeing his own record being different from what he but he had to have because the thing is he needed spock's logic the the conversation with spock convinced him you need to play this out. You need to see how bad this gets. You need to do exactly because Spock immediately got it. And he's like, okay, well you yeah. can't now that you've messed with time, you need to, you need to run this as if you're you don't try to double think this, you know, right. don't try to figure your way out of it again. Just play it straight because we need to see how bad it gets. And he, he needed that conversation. He needed Spock. Because it was confusing, even if he is Captain Pike, you need someone as smart as Spock to figure it out. I think, and I, you know, I, but I loved how Sp- Spock went from "I need to take command" to "Okay, this is what we're gonna do." It was he was just he. I think Peck was great. Yep. One of the things this episode did with Spock, I think they were doing, and I want to see if you guys do. But I, it was a subtle thing, but I feel like 
they're trying to tie into the menagerie. Um, and it's that scene at the end where Spock, when they're back in the prime timeline and Spock senses that there's some kind of timey wimey thing going on. And Spock says, I feel like I owe you a debt. He uses the phrase debt. Yep. And I think that's the debt he's repaying in the menagerie. Yep. Yeah. You know, I think I, they were trying very much to tie into that. Yeah. After I put on balance of terror, I put on the menagerie for that reason. Cause I felt the same way and why it mm-hmm. is so important to him. And that all ties in very nicely. I got no complaints. Yeah. It ties in beautifully. Yeah. I do feel like they went a little too far in the Spock is going to save the universe stuff. And maybe older Pike shouldn't have told younger Pike that much about Spock. Yeah, it was unnecessary. Yep. Yeah, it was unnecessary. Yeah, it's like, look, you've already messed with time enough, you know, old Pike. Stop telling him other things (laughs) about how important Spock is and how he's basically space Jesus and he's going to save the galaxy, which he is and he will. But so does Kirk. So that's why, again, it could have been Kirk who died. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Now, what did people think of what they did with Ortegas? Because I think this is going to be controversial. I have my thoughts. Yeah. I'm not really a fan of it, but somebody kind of had to be the Styles voice. I I don't know why it was her of all people, but fine. I don't know. I just felt like she was acting like a soldier, like a soldier who'd been to war. True. Styles had a kind of history with his father died. Yeah, or he had the something. personal history. Yeah, right. I think I think they could have added something like something about her family history. They give a reason because something happened to Ortegas over these seven years. She got harder. Yeah, I think yeah. there was yeah. all of her, you know, so and we're just going to have to take that as a given. Like she lost someone. Nothing against Pike, but like, I mean, but something happened to her and she was basically a different character, but that's fine because it's seven years later and, you know, it would be interesting to know that, but we just don't have enough time to cover her new tragic backstory for whatever happened three years ago or whatever it was. Right. She's definitely Um, lost her camaraderie with Pike at that point. Right. But I think now that that's a given, I think she was great. Yes. Agreed. In this episode. And she you wasn't know. racist like Styles. Yeah, they 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 wisely. Uh, she 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 called him a. She said pointy eared elephant in the room. She was slightly racist. Let's just say. Well, that wasn't. That's not the same as saying ask Mister Spock to decode <laughs> with the Romulan. No, no, yeah. she you she know. wasn't as racist as Styles, but she wasn't like she was still slightly racist. Let's just say you know she's she like was McCoy definitely racist. <laughs> <laughs> just a low level racist i like that <laughs> um we didn't really get much from her in this episode she was just kind of doing what she did in balance of terror she looked great she sounded fine but there was nothing for her laan got a little character growth a little bit she's well in the 30 in the 30 seconds that she was on screen but she's now a hugger right so <laughs> yeah and of course una disappeared get rid of her yeah <laughs> <laughs> Which actually does happen in the real timeline. Too, I know. What is end. going on with Rebecca Romaine? I don't understand. But it is almost a cliche now. Yep. That they have to get rid of Una for an episode. And I mean, the season started that way. 
Right. So it's yeah. just, uh, I just hope that there's, you know, we know that she's in season two. Um, I guess this issue with her being genetically modified is, you know, she's going. Why is um, she in jail know? instead of just kicked out of Starfleet? Well, because she, you know, it's against Starfleet codes and therefore. Well, yeah, she lied to get into Starfleet. First. But you yeah, wouldn't go you, to jail. If you, if they you, just you, kick you out. Uh, they might. You could go to, you could go to There's... jail for like lying to the FBI. You know, there, there are lying to, you know, perjury. These are real crimes. They're felonies. And yeah. uh, I, I guess mean, you take end it up personally. In, in federal prison. So in this case, like, you know, whatever yeah. Federation prison you, for it. You don't go to jail for being genetically modified. You go for to jail for because she had to fill out forms and blah blah blah. And she, you know, so that was fraud. She committed fraud on the Federation by not disclosing her, you know, well heritage. Well, that's season two. We'll we'll figure that out. Yeah. Okay. Good point. Yeah. Let's let's talk about (laughs) what's in the episode. (laughs) Which speaking of which, I just have to say that asking Sam Kirk for an opinion on Jim Kirk is like asking Billy Carter to come in and tell you if Jimmy's a good guy. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that was so annoying. Uh, Well, and the other annoying part, of course, is that Sam, especially in twenty two sixty six, like which is when this takes place, he should not be there anymore. And now he's back to be. He's in theory. He's a civilian with a kid and a wife on Deneva right now. Yep. Like, so what the right. hell, man? He shouldn't be there on the Enterprise anymore. Um, and his no, they should have killed him. Nothing. They should have killed him too, right? Yeah, exactly. They should have killed him too. Um, <laughs> and yeah, this this version of Sam is I don't know. He's a, he's a shit. Like I don't really care for him. And so yeah, of course he's like, oh, Jim's unconventional and he's all this stuff. And it's like. The mouthpiece, by the way, for the showrunners who I'm still concerned don't quite understand who Kirk Prime is because everybody confuses him with uh, Kelvin Kirk, who was more of a, you know, a reckless kind of jerk, you know, frat boy. That's not true of Prime Kirk. No, so. I mean, look at let's look at Balance of Terror for a minute. Like Kirk agonizes over his decision. He has tons of self-doubt. He sits there with McCoy. Yep. You know, he talks to different people to get different opinions. He's alone with McCoy saying, what if I'm wrong? The stakes yep. are so high. Which we high. don't get that lovely scene because there is no McCoy in this. You know, it's Pike and no, you know, there is no McCoy for that kind of scene. Right. In this version. Pike's confidant is Spock. Mabenga is there. He's there and he kind of raises a few of the same objections like McCoy does, but not, yeah. it's not the same thing, you know? Yeah. Right. I, I did like, I mean, there was almost no chapel, but that scene with her, I thought Jess Bush did a great job. You could tell like how destroyed she was looking yeah. at Spock. Yep. Yep. And it was just, it was very good. I thought. That yeah. One, another 30 second scene. thing, but she was great in it. You know, just the makeup on the the banged up Spock was brutal. I mean, yeah. you know, he lost yeah. an arm and, he, you know, he lost a leg and, oh, it was terrible. Yeah. So. It was. It was I mean, it was basically there. like Pike's accident all over, you know, the, the makeup for Pike's accident, but all over again and for a Vulcan. It's like crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the Romulans here. I thought I thought the ships looked great. First of all, the production design was interesting what they did in this episode. Again, this is like yesterday's enterprise through the whole episode, the enterprise was darker. So I guess they just decided to, you know, save on the light bills, um, <laughs> uh, you know, in this era, but it gave, you know, but it helped make it look different. So I thought that was good. 
the outpost looked great. Yeah, so that's one thing that is interesting to go think about. Uh, I don't know if you guys did, but I actually ended up throwing on Balance of Terror directly after watching this, um, just for mostly to uh, just sort of as a reference point. I mean, I know it like the back of my hand, but it was still really interesting to have that like visual reference. And of course, that's one of those things that it's all you know the destruction of the outpost is all in dialogue Spox of looking at it on his viewer because they didn't have the budget you know the visual effects budget for that and so now we can actually see all that and that was that was a like very useful like addition you know hey look modern visual effects let us do that and that was cool like i actually missed that having now seen it right like i actually missed that from (laughs) the 66 version i was like oh well, okay. I, I you know. agree. I thought that that was a, a really great update, but I felt like by reducing the scenes on the Romulan ship and by, yes. again, I think not a great casting choice for a Romulan mm-hmm. commander. And again, not that the guy was bad. Like I'll say, if I think I'm not just trying to be nice. Like if I think someone's a bad actor, I will say so. But I just it's think the wrong choice. it was the wrong choice. And again, because missing mm. it's, I mean, look, Mark Leonard brought something to everything that he did he had this energy but lots of actors do and we just needed that extra like in in the original one we feel his fatigue and we feel that this guy has seen so much and he doesn't have to tell a story to prove it it's just in the way that he says his regular dialogue he's weary and he's dignified and and the beauty of balance of terror is the way he and kirk are actually reading each other's minds like it's really between Mm -hmm. the two of them and so i felt like the i liked the little sort of twist with the armada and all that but i did feel like it just didn't have that same energy. So the yeah, state. like I, I yeah. like I in no way believe you know when they make him say the the line of it another, you know, universe that I could have called you friend. Like I don't believe that for Pike and this guy, they don't they don't really have that much in common. They it's weren't like connecting said, the whole episode. Like in battle, no. Kirk and the commander were connecting in battle, exactly. even without speaking to each other. That's right. I yeah. Mean, yeah, I mean, the Roman commanders calls them a sorcerer, you know, that one's a sorcerer, you know, because they're so in tune with each other. It's just kind of amazing. But they added a layer, which was kind of there in the original, where this was a clearly a veteran. And the layer they added here was he was weary of war yeah. and therefore open to Pike's idea, which Kirk never offered of maybe there could be peace. And it was his sub commander that betrayed him and called the Praetor and the fleet. Right. Um, right. I mean, Kirk so did no, offer I, I them that. aboard, but um, only after they hit them and yeah. destroyed the ship. Yeah. yeah. So no, I mean, I thought it was, again, it's kind of like the Kirk thing of like, it could have been better. I, I mean, I did joke that they could have brought in James Frain, but that would have been confusing, I think, to fans of <laughs> Discovery. Yeah. Or, you know, yeah. But, that would have been uh, kind of funny though. Yeah. <laughs> I thought, I like the kind of over the top Praetor, you know, the deal was all fine. It's like, it's like, look, if you're going to have the Praetor show up, that's right. Be, be super like over the top, be ready, you know, and she's ready to go, ready to dominate these weak Federation types, you know, like that's fine. Yeah. No problem with that. And I thought the exchange between Pike and her was great where he's like, you know, I'm not a Romulan. I'm not going to kneel to you. And, well, especially after his kneeling a few episodes earlier, his eagerness to kneel. 
in the costume <laughs> episode. <laughs> that's true. I forgot about that, but that's a good point. But this gets to the thing of this is not a good remake of Balance of Terror, but I don't think it was trying to be. I really don't. I think it was trying to be yesterday's Enterprise. I think it was trying to be something different. It was about his, more about his fate than about that episode. Like, like I agree with you in the sense that, yes, they were. this is clearly supposed to be about Pike's fate. I think the catch-22 is, but then they also made it about balance of terror, including lifting direct, like, lines from it. You know, not even, you know, it's just like, okay, well, how can you not see that and make the comparisons then? I'm not sure if I have a better idea, just to be clear, but I'm just saying, like... <laughs> but it is the mistake Sorry. I feel that they keep making, which is, again, like... They make this choice to go back into something. And so then as a viewer, either you don't know it, in which case it's fine because you don't make the connection, but then you're missing something or you do know it and you're like, but, but, but. And so, you know, if they, I feel like they could have, they could be making more creative and original choices than they are. And I think what you said about the dialogue, Matt, is spot on. That's, that's one of those things where, well, don't, don't lift dialogue. Don't but, lift right, it. don't don't lift it directly. Yeah, you can have some of the same ideas, some of the same sentiment, but like yep. don't the the fact that a lot of it is verbatim just totally was like, wait, what? What weird, you know, version am I watching? I think the scene with the destruction of the outpost had to be verbatim to make it clear, like this is the same yeah. scenario. Yeah, we are in exactly we are at that moment in it, you know, but. They wait because the divergence. There were still too many things on top of that. Like they they kept on going back to it. And I agree. The I'm not sure the you know we you know you and I are the same situ you know speech at the end. It doesn't fit at all. This scenario worked, especially because now we've completely diverged from the you know the main pivot point, which is when Pike calls for the uh, two hour. Oh, Oh, ceasefire! Ceasefire! Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. that's that's the you know there should be no repeated dialogue after that for sure right because it's um, very different from that point on yeah and yeah and there's little things before that because we've got the farragut there which i thought the farragut looked great it was kind of a tos era reliant yep. Um, yep that was that that was kind of fun that was fine they spent a lot on the visual effects so they, you look back at some of the bottle episodes they had this season i think they were saving up for this because there was a lot Oh yeah, and there's no question. Like, all, like Lord already talked about the asteroid stuff looks great. Like that was really good. So no problems there. <laughs> and you've got the two different fleets and all of those ships, and they had to create all these new robot ships and stuff like that. There was quite a lot that went into this. Yeah. Well, I think a big question is if if you've never watched, the, let's say you only started watching with Next Generation, or even just the new shows, would this mm-hmm. episode work? Well, I can tell you just anecdotally, I, I mean, I've watched these with my wife, who is, of course, basically only a very casual fan because of me. She at one point has seen Balance of Terror because it made her watch it some years ago, uh, but it's not like she knew it. And so she liked it. I thought this was like a really compelling episode for Pike. And I don't think it really, you know, was lost. I don't think there's anything that like really was lost on her. And that's one of the reasons why I was, I was saying that I put on Balance of Terror right after. I was like, okay, but check this out. Like, look at this difference. It's sort of the difference in choices made. And, you know, she was kind of half paying attention to it. And was just like, wow, this really is. Like, they really did, like, closely recreate it. Wow, that is really, like, interesting to see. But 
she didn't need that. I did. I'm the one who said, hey, we should put on balance and terror. So I actually think, you know, if all you know is, you know, casually stuff, and mostly newer Trek, it still works. There's no, I don't think there's a question of that, but. I think it works better. I, you know, I think. Potentially, I think, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she wasn't distracted about the lines of dialogue like I was, you know. But I think you'd be like, geez, that Kirk guy's really annoying. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I never really heard much about that from her. But yeah, he's it's interesting. I don't know. That's Go a good question. <laughs> you know, right? <laughs> I'll ask her over dinner. I don't think he's annoying in this, and especially they end it really well with him. Less um, annoying, just nothing. He's a, it's just got nothing, you know? Just yeah, there's not a lot of zazz there for sure, um, but uh, <laughs> they, you know, but they, he's just a different kind of guy. I think they they were. I mean, this is such a hard because you know when you think of like every time they made a TOS movie, they always had some guy in there, a, another captain, but they always wanted Kirk to look good. So every other captain in Starfleet was just sucks. Ex- yeah. Yeah. Just lame. And but you can't make um, Kirk suck for Pike service. You know what I mean? That, that... Exactly. But I feel like they definitely want Pike to look as good as possible. Um, but they didn't make Kirk suck, but they didn't want yeah. you to love Kirk so much that you're like, Ooh, he should actually what? be in command. Let's Why get isn't he in this show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, but I felt it's, like it's, you should look at him and think. Task. I felt like you should look at him and think, oh, that's a good captain. And I felt like, oh, that's a good strategist, but I didn't feel like he was a good captain. And in fact, what would have helped was maybe if he'd involved some of his crew, but he just went solo. Right. Right. Like, why didn't Lon go with him on his little mission mm-hmm. in the shuttle? So True. Yeah. Like, yeah. I think the fact, like, we didn't even see him and Lon interact. So I think that's part of it, too, is that I didn't see him as a captain. I just saw him as like a guy with a good title and a lot of opinions, some, of which, some yeah. of which were quite smart. Um, but he was like a he would, would be like your war consultant, not your captain. They could have <laughs> given him. But this, you know, this is like the more you give him, it's just to benefit him. And does that really help the Pike story? But yeah, if they had a longer scene. You know, I, I think Lori, you're like, I love, I love Kirk so much. I just want them to show Kirk great. And, but it, I'm not sure it helps this episode, it, you know, and helps the Pike story. It just makes you like Kirk more. No, I think it actually for me would have helped because again, the conversations between Pike and Kirk didn't have big impact for me. When Pike is like, I feel like we should have met. I was like, why? I don't feel like there's a big connection there. Look, and I've ad- look, I adapted to Chris Pine. I adapt. <laughs> I've adapted well, I think, to a lot of things. And I love Kirk, but I love everybody else. So I really, really think there was a dynamic missing that was pretty serious. Okay. I tend to agree. Yeah. yeah. It's hard for me to get over that. I mean, he. by the way, I, I'm sure you guys both noticed he did make that Kelvin connection when Pike said, tell me about yourself. Oh, yeah. They dropped in. There. I mean, that is now officially part of his backstory. Yep. Because that happened in the Prime Universe before things changed. So. They actually mentioned the Prime Universe, which is I, I, that I, I found annoying. I, I'm glad you brought that up because I'd forgotten about it, but it was annoyed by it. Like no one calls it that. Um, <laughs> I think I think Discovery did that first, right? I think yeah. I think uh, we chatted about that once, and it was like no, no one actually calls it that. That's a that's an out of universe. Like that's a real world term for it, not an in universe. 
Brewster. Right. It's like an egotistical so, yeah. way. Like our universe is the real one. <laughs> yeah. They, I don't, I don't see them actually calling it that in universe for those reasons, but oh well. There were other little subtle changes. The Centurion was now a sub commander, which is kind of more of a, well, a, you know, what's interesting about that is there is a sub commander who, who is kind of precocious in balance of terror he is just he just obeys the commander more readily than this one does but the seeds are actually there um and i noticed that and i was like oh they picked up on that it's actually pretty clever of them to do this which is that Hmm. the old centurion actually you know goes over to the commander and says be careful like he warns him to be careful about that the uh, sub commander because he's well connected and has powerful friends so they picked up on that and said, oh, well, here we go. On our version, he is this kind of powerful, you know, next in line uh, command kind of guy. And he does have powerful friends. And so, like, he's not going to put up with this crap from this old guy. <laughs> and that's um, a good, that's a good, yeah, that's a good evolution. Yeah, I liked it. I, I didn't realize but, that, of course, until I watched Balance of Terror right after. And I was like, oh, that actually does have precedent, you know, from the original episode. Yep. My favorite little Easter egg was uh, when Pike was looking at Kirk's file, he had like, there was a, a list of skill, special skills he had, and there was only four of them. And one of them was hand-to-hand training. So, <laughs> That's awesome. Um, Kirk Fu, everybody. Uh, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> um, I also, I loved when, uh, when I think uh, Kirk comes in to see Pike and Pike goes, oh, sorry, I was just talking to myself. Which he actually was talking to himself, but his yes. herself. Yeah. I was like, that yeah, was I a chuckled. good, that, that was good. <laughs> kind of a, you know, he is known for his dad jokes and that is a bit of a dad joke. For yes. There. Mm-hmm. Even if nobody I mean, there wasn't else a, get it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not a lot of humor in this episode for sure. And maybe that's why they did the pipe, the Scotty thing. Cause it was kind of funny, I guess. Mm. I don't know. Yeah. He, he said something about how he's not a miracle worker. It was very. Yeah broad what they did there yeah it is kind of maybe also a hint that they are going to do scotty for season two uh, but obviously they haven't they didn't cast him for this because it was just a voice actor who did it but it makes me more and more nervous that that you're right tony which is what you've been saying all along which is that they're heading into basically just turning this into tos and i just think they're greatest strength i really am enjoying strange new worlds and i enjoy it the most when it's original and i enjoy it less when it isn't so i feel like that's a mistake and i also feel like in certain cases the things they seem to like best that they extract from characters and episodes aren't always the things that i think are the best like like balance of terror to me is a great example because and arena what I liked about it isn't what they're interested in and what they like isn't what I like. And so it's sometimes they get it where like I see Spock and Chapel over the season and I go, I really like what they're doing with these two now. And I was skeptical, but I just, I don't want them to remake the original series. I love the original series. It's great. Now make your own show. Cause you have all the ingredients. Well, it depends on what you mean by remake the original series. Cause if they do end up in a situation where it's Pike and, basically everyone else from TOS. Yeah, and then Kirk is off on his own ship somewhere else. But they're exploring new worlds, you know, then is it really recreating the original series? It's just showing other adventures these same characters have. I think once they decide to bring in all the characters, then they'll be revisiting. See, that's the problem. It's it's like more of the Gorn and, you know, are we going to see 
you know, we will see the Klingons. I don't have a problem with that, but you know, it's like, do we need those stories and those same beats of, of revisiting, you know, all the Nazi planet and all this guy, you know, (laughs) I don't think they'll ever do that. If they did that, you know, I mean, I, I love, by the way, I do want them to kind of pick up on the kind of craziness, you know, you had the Roman planet and the Nazi planet, you know, like what is their version of that? Yes. You know, where they find a planet and it, and the the gangster planet, that's what I want to see is like, so it's kind of TOS like, but it's not one of those, you know, it's a new planet that just is weird. The difference between inspired by and based on to me, that's what it is. Sure. I mean, I don't have anything else to say about this episode. I liked it. There were some weird choices. I still liked it. I feel like it did what it had to do because it was exciting. The thing is, it was, it was, I just, I found it compelling and thrilling and a good, well made. It also bookended the season well for the main character, which is Pike, you know, so there was more, much more in it that I liked than I didn't like, even though there were a few things I didn't like. And I think it put a good end to a season that I think is one of the strongest opening seasons of any Star Trek show ever, certainly in live action, because I think we thought Prodigy was super strong and lower yeah. decks. But when you think live action, since the original series, no one's had a great first season. I think this is the best first season since the original series of live action Star Trek. It's hard to judge because the other a lot of the shows had twice as many episodes. So that makes it sort of hard to compare. But for me, I would say I liked the idea of what they wanted to do with Pike, but I felt like a lot of the episode for me was a misfire. So now you're down to eight out of ten. Uh, eight, uh, <laughs> eight and a quarter, eight and a half, like somewhere. There were things I liked about it. Um, But yeah. Okay. Ma- <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, you know, I'm probably... I forget where I was now. I'm not, you know, but yeah, I'm somewhere between eight and nine out of 10, you know, 8.3795. Four, seven. Don't forget the four, seven. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, they did get little things right. I mean, like, you know, the, the, the star date in his captain's log was exactly the same as Kirk's, you know, captain's log. So they are, they are paying attention to those details for sure. Although the star dates, I, I do kind of like how the star dates on the show are a mess Yes, um, in general, they because be. they were a mess on the original. <laughs> they were a mess to us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They yeah. should. They should so always they, they be definitely a mess. are not sequential. <laughs> Anything else about this episode or the season? Uh, a little bit of trivia about the title of the episode, which is "A Quality of Mercy," that is also a Twilight Zone episode that starred Dean Stockwell and Leonard Nimoy. So oh. that's fun. Crazy coincidence. <laughs> that is mm-hmm. fun. The war episode, as, as you might imagine, given the title also. So. Anything else for you, Lori? No, I mean, I, I tend to agree with you about the specifics of how this affects Pike. And it was just all the rest of it that I didn't like. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just all the rest of it. <laughs> it's all the rest of it. But the idea and the book ending and the fact that like Pike has to make this crazy moral choice that's really a tough one and I think is it shows his moral fiber and that he is bold and brave. And I think there've been a lot of episodes where he's, you know, he's, he's a little too, not too jokey, but he almost doesn't always take command in a way. And I felt like this showed his, his backbone. 
Right. I agree. Yeah. I'm with you on that. Last episode, he was definitely, he felt just a little too flat almost as a captain in the previous episode, the, the Gorn fight, the Gorn episode. Yeah. He's a little passive sometimes. Yeah. With such a consensus builder, which was kind of part of what went wrong. (laughs) Which is, yeah, his undoing Uh, in this one. Yeah. Right. But he, yeah, he had a lot of backbone in this one because at least he owned that he was that, you know. So that's it for season one of Strange New Worlds. All right. So Matt's gone. It's just the two of us now. Let's wrap things up with our bits of the week. Tony, why don't you start? I'm going to follow one of your favorite things, which is to recommend a couple of Twitter follows. One is Daniel J. Burns, who's the senior concept artist and an art director on Strange New Worlds and other Star Trek shows, including Discovery. And he likes to post images of, you know, his concept art from the show. Not spoilers, usually stuff we've already seen, but it's some good stuff. And the other one is a guy named Justin Craig, who is a set decorator, and he loves to post pictures and stuff from the sets, things you might have noticed, but you should, you know, you post these pictures of things that were in the background or whatever, and often they're tied to Trek canon. And so they're both really fun behind the scenes follow. So that's Justin Craig and Daniel J. Burns. And if you go to the show notes at Trek Movie, you'll, there'll be, links to both of them and i love that they like you don't just have to try and you know get a screenshot and blow it up like they're posting gorgeous big photos of these things so you can really get a good look this is kind of like all the stuff that dave blass was sharing during picard these are these guys kind of fill that gap these guys would be along the same as timothy peel who does a lot of the graphics he's kind of the mike akuda of the show and which you recommended him a few weeks ago. You should be following all of these people. They're, they just are so generous in terms of sharing their work and answering people's questions if you have questions. And I'm sure it's really nice for them to, for audiences to know who they are and what they do. Because of course, back in the, back in the olden pre-internet days, um, people didn't know who, the, who those people were unless you worked in the industry or started reading books about your show, if they existed. The internet, you know, it gives and it takes away, but this is one of the great things of you skip right to having in the seventies and the eighties, you know, I remember you'd buy these books and stuff and it'd just be so amazing. And now there's like this instant gratification where you get to see the same stuff that you had to go buy books for years later. Now you see it like within an hour of the episode dropping. And you can tell the person, this is beautiful. This is great. I love it. And what's that thing? (laughs) And they'll tell you. So what's your bit of the week? Mine is much, much older. Speaking of olden days and books. Um, So (laughs) this is so old, but I found, and then it tied into a whole bunch of things. So back in 1992, in February of 1992, Good Morning America did their show from the Enterprise, the Next Generation Sets of the enterprise. And so besides, it's just funny to watch because they're so, you know, they're pretty goofy about it. Like they're just like, this is really neat stuff. Like there, there's some neat stuff around here. And they interview most of the cast in little groups. Um, and they're kind of goofy with them. You can tell the cast is like a little bit sort of put off by the tone of some of the questions. 
um, are the things that, you know, they're saying to Gates McFadden, no, you don't have to deal with all the makeup like Michael Dorn. And she's like, yeah, women don't have to sit in makeup for a long time. Mm hmm. Um, <laughs> so although I'm sure they were excited to be on the show, but still Spencer Christian, the weatherman did the weather on the Star Trek set in a Star Trek uniform. He was in 10 forward. I think he called the uniform tushy huggers or something, but here's the interesting part. I've been reading, um, Ryan Brett's book, which I actually reviewed on our website, phasers on stun. And in that book, he talked about how Patrick Stewart, who is noticeably missing from this Good Morning America segment, walked off the set because he thought that having the weatherman in a uniform doing the weather was like, was shtick and demeaning and disrespectful. And then later he said he regretted walking off the set, that probably he shouldn't have done that. And then just to tie this whole crazy thing up. So that was February of 1992 summer of 1992 i was working on a show hosted by spencer christian and wow. he was utterly delightful by the way it was a group of people who are generally not very nice he was very nice i had a couple of friends on the production but mostly people were mean there um and he had i known that he'd been on the star trek set a few months earlier we would have had even more exciting conversations like somehow uh, that was i was still hiding the fact that i was a star trek fan in those days it wasn't a cool thing to be. I didn't know other Star Trek fans. So I wish that I had watched that and known that because we could have had a really fun conversation. He was a super nice guy. Did they do normal other things besides the weather? Like, you know, the news of the week yes. from the bridge? <laughs> yeah, I think they threw to packages. Like the recording that I found that I'm linking to, you know, cuts out the news pieces for the most part. Although they did roll in like they had a roll in of Leonard Nimoy. And they had a roll in of Alan Shepard saying, you know, best wishes to the Enterprise crew. So it was a mix, but they did do the news. They threw to stuff from there, but they did the whole show from there. Who were the hosts then? It was Joan London and uh, Charles Gibson, I believe. Hmm. Yep, Joan London and Charles Gibson. And of course, my friend Spencer. I mean, this is how nice Spencer was. He, my mom had a crush on him and he recorded a birthday video for her. And this was before you know, phones, like I had to borrow a video camera from somebody. <laughs> Amazing. So that's it for another week of All Access Star Trek. This is our 99th episode. We'll be back next week for our 100th episode and a special guest, Aaron Bonke, where we'll be talking about the upcoming season of Star Trek Prodigy along with other Star Trek stuff with him. Probably, yeah, anything he wants to talk about, we're ready. Yeah, because he's a fan, you know, so I'm sure he's ready to talk about anything related to Star Trek. Um, the week after that, as we mentioned before, we'll be taking a week off for Comic-Con, and then we'll be back to discuss that and more, and hopefully we'll have more guests until we return to episode reviews, probably in August with Season 3 of Lower Decks. And don't forget to leave a comment on the website about the podcast. And don't forget to use the phrase warp me if you live in the United States and want to be eligible to win Lower Decks Blu-ray. Warp me. 